0: And
1: talking to our friends. Book club. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with Aubrey
2: loveless
3: and I'm Danielle,
1: and I'm Matt mine This is an all Hellboy podcast. We are reading through all the Hellboy comics. We're interweaving all the titles in the Mignola verse, and we're a book club. Here's Danielle to tell you all about it.
3: We're going to read a book, and then we tell you what we're going to read, and then you read it. And then we come and we talk about it. That's a book club. And also, <laughs> friendship. And then we say what you're going to read again, and then you say, hey, damn guys, and you send us an email and talk about it. You got to leave a comment on a Facebook, on an Instagram, <laughs> or other places, too. Back to you, John.
1: Great. Thank you. Now we're going to go on to our listener feedback section.
3: You read a story. We talk about it.
2: You hate damn guys, us, and it's a book club. We got a "Hey, you damn guys" from Adam Hits. Hey, damn guys.
1: Hey, Adam is the one who put up the Mignola chronology that we were talking about last week. That kind of goes with the companion. Did you have a chance to look at that, Matt?
4: Yeah, that was crazy. I okay, so I can't, (laughs) I can't look at it. It was so overwhelming. So I scrolled through like all. 29 pages or something oh wow and and i would just every now and then i would just say okay i'll read this and i was like i don't even know what that is (laughs) and then sometimes i would be like okay i know exactly what that is but wow just man i thought i spent a lot of time on this stuff
1: yeah yeah it's so great for him to share that with us he said, yeah, right. uh, he said, thanks for the mention in today's episode. Finding this podcast and going back through old stories has got me back in the mood to work on this timeline. I've already added a few more dates and events from recent issues. When I've gotten a good few more events in there, I'll share the most recent version. So he's like updating it. And then so he'll send nice. me that and I'll update it. So I'll let you guys know as I get those updates. He also said... Great to hear a shout out and support for aid with the Australian bushfires. Yeah, yeah, I'm living a good 100K or 60 miles away from the nearest fires and we can't see for the smoke. Any support from anyone is most welcome.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, wow. We have you know a list of places and if you want to add to that list, anybody thinks, hey, this is also a worthwhile organization, I'll, I'll definitely we should do that. And if you donate $15 or more, I'll send you something.
1: just something somebody (laughs) what is it gonna be what what does that mean you
3: know I got lots of stuff here I'll send you some of my stuff you can have some of she's got a
2: stack
1: of
3: coasters
2: right in front of her I got coasters
3: I got no I'll send you something it won't be it won't be coasters no I'm just kidding kidding. it will be something else Uh, something cool hopefully and if it's not cool you can uh, – you'd be like, hey, this is cool. – I'll send you something cooler. I there don't you know. go. A, yeah. sh- I just <laughs> want to try and try to donate what we could. And I know that not everybody has money. So, hey, if you can't donate, share some links. We'll give you some links, post, you know, get the word out, try and heckle your family and friends to donate. There and, you go.
1: Yeah, and we've yeah. already had a couple of people take you up on that. So yes. that's great. Yeah, we'll have some packages You're- going out. Definitely a worthy cause. Jerry Turnbull said – adam hicks deserves a medal i've started and discarded two chronologies over the years i love his updated timeline yeah so jerry turnbull was checking that out too
3: book club member
1: yeah i also got my awesome raffle prize from craig mcknight oh my god Yeah. yeah yeah And so I shared that on our social media, the and Oming. yeah, and Oming responded on Twitter. What he oh, what? said, "Yay, glad it found a good home for a good cause." That's so nice, awesome. what a classy guy. That's so awesome! And, that's awesome. Yeah, and Ross Radke said, "Was way glad that you got the Oming piece, since I know you guys are a fan of his Huge work." Huge Oming fan. When
2: we opened it, you were like, "Oh my god, we
1: own I know, an Oming I now!" It, yeah. yeah, that's <laughs> exciting. Good,
3: yeah.
2: Oh man that's exciting. Yeah. Uh
3: when you when there's an artist that you respect or admire or you like their work or something like that to have a piece of theirs is really cool. Yeah it's,
1: it's so awesome. So it's nice. thanks again to Craig McKnight And I'm excited for what he does next. We had some feedback on our listener feedback episode from last week.
2: Oh, wow. Listener feedback on listener feedback. There you go. (laughs) Meta. Very meta.
1: Wow, dude. (sighs) Lobster. (laughs) It's like blowing my mind, man. Lobster 20,000 said, great episode. Always love to hear lobster origin stories. I tend to agree with Mark's theory from the Hell Notes on Lobster Johnson. I think he's been somehow possessing dead bodies all along, like we see him do in Conqueror Worm. He doesn't really seem different from his 30s appearance at all in Conqueror Worm. He still has a physical form, bleeds, etc. And it would explain a lot of the weirdness going on with him, even in the 30s. I love the theories you guys discussed. The Watcher ghost idea is amazing, as is the idea that he might be talking to some cosmic being Sledgehammer style. Very excited for the episodes on Metal Monsters of Midtown, and especially the Pirate's Ghost. Zonya's art is on a whole other level there. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. I'm so glad he enjoyed all those theories. We had we'd had a pretty good discussion on that.
3: Talked about ghosts.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I like the way you say go. At Benny Decker on Twitter, he said after showing my daughter, almost seven years old, some lobster Johnson trades. She made me this picture and she drew Lobster Johnson. Super really cool. Yeah. I Very re- good. I retweeted that on Twitter and Zanyich actually responded to the tweet. Nice. Oh, nice. And he said, Easy number one, if you ask me, that includes Mike's covers. Nice, nice, <laughs> nice. Cool. Yeah, that was so awesome to see. Mark Tweedo, he had some feedback. He said to Matt, yep i'm your foreign cousin sitcom replacement <laughs> little known fact in australia matt is pronounced mark it's also spelt mark okay. <laughs> that's awesome all right. that was a good one all right he also said thanks for the shout out on the australian fires we need all the help we can get Matt, I know you don't agree with my theory about the lobster, but I feel like we're on the same page, because that element of there being more going on than we know, and we'll probably never know, is so important to a good lobster comic. Bring on the theories. None are right and none are wrong. The lobster is unknowable.
4: But you know what's funny about that is, maybe I do disagree, but... I would default to his theory over my own. (laughs) Like if somebody said, what's going on here? I wouldn't go, well, here's what I think I'd go. Well, Mark Tweedale says, right. Right. You know, so there is a hierarchy we have to, there you go.
1: (laughs) And he also talked about knives out. He said he didn't know anything about it, except that Ryan Johnson directed it. And Daniel Craig was in it. Literally every other actor in there was a surprise. I didn't even know about Chris Evans' jumper. My God, that movie was so good.
3: <laughs> I'm sorry. I was saying you're going drink of water right when you said that. No, but that's, yeah, super good.
1: And we were also talking about like movies and trailers and all that. He said, if there's a movie I'm really excited about, I just mute all associated words until I see it. That way I don't even see the discussions about the trailers or reaction videos or anything. I'm pretty sure the YouTube algorithm
2: thinks I hate Star Wars because of that. (laughs) That's actually not a bad thing. Yeah, Yeah. that's not a bad thing at all. And that's from somebody who loves Star Wars. Yeah, you you want to stay
3: as far away from any discourse as you possibly can. It is all (laughs) worthless.
2: Oh, yeah, I know. I decided after this last go around I'm just I'm done with just reading about Star Wars it's exhausting no more reading about Star Um, Wars definitely no more
3: look I just want to watch my nerdy space wizard movie in peace (sighs) leave me alone it's like
2: you said it's a movie about space wizards there you go
3: most of it takes place in the desert it's completely baffling. <laughs> Nobody knows why. It's fine.
2: Before we read this story, I
1: just want to give you a heads up. There is a content warning you know, on this story. We've talked about this before with some of the Abe Sapien stories, but you know, there are some real dark and kind of real moments in these series, and I want to make sure that we just give you guys a heads up in case you don't want that in your day-to-day. Yeah. You can listen to this episode another time. There you go. All right, and now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week. This week we're talking about Lobster Johnson, Metal Monsters of Midtown. This is a three-issue miniseries published from May to July 2016. Covers and art by Tonchi Zonich, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. Let's not forget the always essential editor, Scott
4: Alley. Scott Alley! So Dark Horse Comics always did a really good job of not... They always kept their cover price in check okay. while other other publishers were... You know, the prices were going up and up and up. They always did a really good job of keeping it affordable while not filling your comics with a bunch of ads, you know, right. for like yeah. Snickers and bubble gum and stuff. But uh, issue one here is 350 Issue two and three are each 399 mm. So this is like the exact moment where their cover price went up. Oh, okay, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, for what it's
3: worth. <laughs> I like this art deco font that they've got going yeah, on. Yeah.
1: So a couple interesting things about this series in relation to me, because I, you know, I'm like the one on the show, you know, other than Matt, who had read this stuff. And so now we're starting to get into stuff that I haven't read and I actually had never read this trade. There's two main reasons. One is I'm missing one of the issues to Metal Monsters of Midtown. Oh. Um, missing issue two and so I just never got it and so I never read the story because I wanted to wait until I had all three issues to read it
2: totally feel you on that. Right.
1: and then the f- the story that we're going to read next week the pirate's ghost I ha- actually have all the issues of that but I've never read it because I didn't read this one <laughs> You know what I mean? I didn't want to read them out of order because there's been a continuity with the characters, and so I haven't read any of this stuff in this trade. So this is kind of exciting to be able to read this stuff for the first time. The other thing was there is an awesome interview with Tanchi Zanich and Mark Tweedell in a multiversity article. Thank you, Matt, for sending me that. Sure. And uh There's a great part where Zonyich is talking about the cover to the trade. And so he talks about how, but the first three trades, they have a lot of colors and a lot of characters. And then the second three trades all have one primary color. Satan Smell's a Rat is a red cover. A Chain Forged in Life is a blue cover. And then this is a yellow cover. And he talks about in that interview with Mark Tweedale that he was going to make this multicolored and really detailed with all these different elements in it and then he he couldn't he wasn't satisfied with it and he stayed up from noon until 7 the next day trying to figure out what to do with it and finally he just took out all the color and left it yellow and then he liked that yeah and he, also, wow. and he also mentioned that this font that Danielle was talking about is hand-done. Yeah. And so he said that he was really proud that he didn't have to redraw the font or the faces. So those were from the original, you know, kind of draft of the cover. Yes. Yeah, and he good. actually took away elements to give it kind of that... You know, sometimes uh,
3: that's what you gotta do yeah
1: it's really great and so um, yeah I wanted to mention that so I'm gonna post that Multiversity article
3: I love a hand drawn font
1: yeah it's really nice it's a, it's a good job we also have the actual cover to the issues. Anya also did these great covers that have the lobster against these giant monsters there's three different monsters and so each cover has a different uh, or robot I keep saying monster but they're robots yeah um, you had something that you wanted to say about that, Matt?
4: Yes, I have a minor rant. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So I have probably said this before about Lobster Johnson, but Lobster Johnson comics are just one giant homage to the classic pulp.
3: For sure.
4: Magazines like Argosy, Amazing Stories, and the most popular probably is Weird Tales, which found its way into the Hellboy universe. Right, even. yeah. And for what it's worth, Lobster Johnson encapsulates the best parts of those old stories like i always think to myself if i traveled back in time to say the early 30s and wrote a lobster johnson story or like you know acted like it was my own idea and gave it to one of the editors at those magazines they would be like you did it this is what we've been trying to do you made the perfect oh right <laughs> story but you know then of course they'd say could you Maybe have the main character attack people based on their cultural origins a little more because, you right. know, they were yeah. racist back then. Sure. So, <laughs> but I digress. So it, it, at any rate, to me, this is where Hellboy got his sense of adventure and heroism from The Lobster because right. he read those comics yeah, yeah. as a kid, right? But actually, he got them from the old pulps, whether he knew it or not. And so for us readers, these Lobster Johnson stories are reminders that comics in general have a sturdy foundation in the classic pulp.
1: Yeah. So,
4: you know, if that makes sense. So Hellboy is inspired by the lobster, which it's the creator's wink to the reader's. That there's a long history of these types of stories. And I love that because we're being clued in to all these other written works in real life through this modern version created purely out of nostalgia. And I think that the cover art for Lobster Johnson Comics in particular has always paid the most homage, whereas, you know, the stories inside are much more original. These specific covers for metal monsters of midtown when i first saw issue one took me straight back to the works of some of these authentic pulp magazine cover artists like frank r paul he's credited as being the first guy to make a living by painting spaceships he's like one of he's like the father of science fiction art yeah i think he's the first guy to ever illustrate war of the worlds
1: oh okay Um, these have a very war of the worlds kind of look that's what i thought of when i was looking at them
4: Yeah, and so if you look at Frank R. Paul's work, and, you know, there's other guys, too, like Lawrence Stern Stevens, and there are dozens of them, but these are kind of the forefathers of the art. If you look at their work, you'll go, oh, yeah, there's had to have been a moment. I mean, I'd be shocked if these robots weren't directly inspired by their work, because they always illustrated the robots like living mechanical beasts right you know yeah metal monsters right and they're they're not just robots that are big and stationary and move slow it's like they have tentacle arms and everything right right they're real threatening imposing figures you know then just i pulled out this book that i have i sent you a picture of this earlier yeah it's a Uh, really
1: old pulp book
4: yeah so this book's been reprinted a bunch of times but i have the first edition which was released in 1970 it was actually a Christmas gift from my grandmother to my grandfather in 1971. Wow. Um, Yeah, it says, to my darling stew, Christmas, 1971, right on the inside. So (laughs) the name of the book is The Pulps, 50 Years of American Pop Culture. So at the time it was originally published, these stories were 50 years old. This book, as of 2020, right now, is 50 years old. And that means and I think this is very cool and worth noting as we sit here discussing Lobster Johnson we're referencing its inspiration which is up to 100 years old at right this point. wow yeah. that's incredible so that's a- that's, That's like a, a m- big deal because our our pop culture is like kind of runs out quick, right? Like we get to like the dime novels of the westerns and stuff like that. The first War of the Worlds illustration I know of is on the cover of Amazing Stories by Frank R. Paul, and that was 1927. The radio program I think was what 1938, something like that. Mm. Something like that. Just think about it. Like, could you have Lobster Johnson without a hundred years of right, right, of, yeah, of nostalgia? Probably not. So anyway. I thought that was very cool and just worth noting. But, and also I'd like it if everyone, if you haven't already, you don't have to, you know, read all the old pulps. Because like I said, there's a lot of stuff that just wouldn't jive nowadays, obviously. <laughs> but the cover art is just amazing. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. You know, and you can find that stuff all over the internet.
1: I mean, when you have a hundred years worth of material, you can you can pick just the very best stuff. I mean, you can yeah, definitely right. go like, okay, well, let's make a six trades worth of just the cream of the crop stuff and that is definitely what this is and i really like how as the series has progressed in the historical fiction you get those different elements of pulps like in this one we're going to get the radio drama thing which is kind yeah. of like you know uh they had the lobster johnson listening to the radio in get the lobster you know and they kind of introduce all these elements and it just adds another flavor because it it since it's gone for so many years there's a lot of history in that too you know what i mean pre-war and all that kind of stuff and yeah that is so interesting to think about i mean there are so many different things that you can do with that it's no wonder that somebody said we have this historical fiction universe let's just make a character that lives in this timeline and pull all those wonderful things from these stories that's so awesome thank you for sharing that man all right and as we open up the story i really love this this is really incredible we're just thrown into the action we've seen this in a couple lobster johnson stories it's manhattan 1936 and there's a giant monster robot attacking the city the police are shooting at it and almost has a narration to the whole thing is cindy tynan she's doing a live on the scene report to the radio listeners unbelievable One of the machines is lifting a police car off the ground just as easily as a man would a child, she says. It's still not easy to determine what their intent might be, but the two machines, the robots, are some 30 yards away, in front of the Watts Saving Bank at 35th and Dyer, and they haven't moved since. And so she's got this guy with him, I think his name is Payne, he's like her assistant or what? what, Producer. He's the producer, there you go, and he's like telling her to wrap it up. And just then, they just narrowly avoid getting hit by this police car that's been thrown by the robots.
3: She's uh, grown her hair out.
1: Yeah, right. So that's another thing. Yeah, as we've seen Cindy, um, her hair's gotten longer over the series. I really like that detail. Thank you for pointing that out. And I also wanted to talk about the design of the robot. So we saw that first one on the cover, and here we kind of see the other two. So this one on the left... It almost reminds me of like those old timey microphones, right? Yeah, yeah, it does have that look to it. I
3: don't know if it's old timey, but it's
4: I figured broadcasters microphone.
3: There you go. Yeah, Yeah,
1: that's kind of a better word for it. I think Zonich mentions this either in the sketchbook or in that interview with Mark Tweedale. But the legs they kind of just go around in a circle, (laughs) and that's how it walks. It's It's really interesting. I really like that. And then the one on the other side is this kind of like taller robot and what i really like about this also in that you got to really see this multiversity article with mark Tweedo. i'll see if i can share the gif but it has a gif within it of this robot moving the arm and it kind of shows how that piston goes up and that wire that's extends cool. yeah. you know what i mean and oh. then it comes back down oh yeah. How it has those kind of tubes that. on its arm and stuff like that so like they were yeah, all he, designed to be very practical yeah. you know i really like that
4: well he had it figured out that's just i wouldn't do that Right. (laughs) I wouldn't even think to do that. I would just make it look cool. But he's like, well, if it was in the real world, how would it work? And that's just... its awesome. More more well-rounded character.
1: Yeah, we've seen that in some of the other sketchbooks, like, where he... Laid out the lobster's hideout, or when there's a car crash, he kind of lays out like where the car is coming from and like the you know trajectory. And so, yeah, he really thinks about all these different things. After the close call, the producer runs off, and I like Cindy just keeps reporting, right? The sound you just heard, ladies and gentlemen, was a police car hurled towards us by one of the robots, and suddenly they hear this loud poom. Cindy turns, What in Jehovah? One of the cops says, (laughs) Hey up there. It's the lobster. It's the lobster. And he's got something that kind of looks like a grenade launcher. He could have killed one of us, one of the cops says. It is the lobster, Cindy reports, and he's fired some sort of explosive device, a grenade it seems, at the robots. Between my ringing ears and the smoke, I still can't tell what effect the explosion had. And then as the smoke dissipates, she's like, "None. the explosion didn't even scratch them. The robots they are just standing there, standing as still as statues. Suddenly crash this third robot kind of breaks out of the bank. I love that panel. It's really great. Yeah.
4: Yeah, that whole page <laughs> is great.
1: And it has like these, how would you describe these like fists that it has? It's got like all these like balls or something or um, That's exactly like how just, I'd describe it. <laughs> yeah, like bulbs or something on the end of it.
4: the knuckles. There you go. Yeah, nice, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: And the action is so dynamic with these things. It, they seem like very kind of stilted but the way that he, dre- you can just see these things moving and it's just yeah. really great. I really love it. We talked about that Animated style before, like that Batman the animated series style, and I can really see that here. And so the robot just starts running off; it's like smashing all these cars aside.
3: <laughs> I know what you're laughing at though, because it's just it's the calamity that's happening yeah. right. on the page. It's I mean, it weird. really is.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can see what you're talking about with the uh, the leg on that one robot, just like. Spin it around,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how it runs. That's good, the robots start charging off, and the lobster lassos one of them and climbs on. And so, in the middle of all this Why does action, he have
3: a lasso. I never, <laughs> what is
1: that? <laughs> the lobster, he's got a thing of rope, he could, he's he got to have one.
3: Think of a more efficient way a lasso. It's he's the 1930s, practicing isn't in it? his little <laughs> underground. Hide out his like treehouse well, or
2: whatever. You never, you never know. He may before he was a lobster, he may have worked on a on a ranch. Sure. Oh yeah. Or like if he was Whoa. on a, on a pirate's ship or something, wouldn't he
1: know? So how you to remember do stuff Batman? Like that?
3: He's like throwing a tire or whatever. And yeah. All that well, stuff. I mean, Batman,
1: he, Batman Like Batman lassos but, people with the.
3: That's No, oh, he, he doesn't. does not. He does not. Absolutely has never lassoed.
1: But the Batarang on the end of the thing kind of acts like a lasso, and it'll spin not, around. Yeah, he'll but get he's their not, ankles. But
3: you didn't catch... Batman's not, like, twirling a lasso in the air. Wonder oh Woman God. is. He, Wonder
1: oh, Woman Oh, well, yeah, she is. Okay. <laughs> okay, no, I guarantee you, after this episode goes live, someone's going to send gonna me a picture it. of... Someone's going to send me a picture of Batman <laughs> with a lasso. Send us like hey, you damn guys... That man with a lasso. I know it's out. There. Okay,
3: regardless. <laughs> but I, I think the
4: lobster's using something disposable here.
3: But my I think he
4: just had some rope and he's like oh. Sure,
3: sure. But like the yeah. confidence of someone who is twirling a lasso in the air at a giant robot, I mean, that's gotta be like one thousand percent. You have to know that you're absolutely right. gonna Yeah like so, in my, that's what I'm saying is like, I'm picturing him in his lair lassoing, and the guys are just like standing there, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, and so they're he's and doing then, pretty good, you know what I mean? Like, but what just I don't, don't Just let him, and they just let him, and they don't say anything. He's like lassoing barrels. I I'm think sure it gets uh, a little old. They're lassoing them while they're sitting in a chair and he pulls you know what i mean like it's so then
2: when this happens they're like oh
3: shit he used the lasso look he used a wow i came in <laughs> About handy damn time you never know finally you never know
2: he's been practicing that for 10
4: years it's
3: never come up and then it did
4: oh,
2: it'll never come up again
3: that's my point it makes and... me
4: think of the end of best in show where christopher guest is a ventriloquist yeah cowboy and like the lasso <laughs> like knocks over the whole set He's like in some <laughs> convalescent center.
3: <laughs> or this is that just that the movie. type of shit that Not really as easy have as to as practice. We were just talking
1: about Fred Willard, too, yeah, right? Yeah, we were. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Shit. I love Fred Full Willard. Full circle. <laughs> oh, man, I forgot to include. Uh, I'm going to have to go back and find it. Ross Radke was like, he was listening to the episode. And he was like, oh, it's in my messages. That's why I didn't see it in the Hey, You Damn Guys. Hold on, wait. So last week when Ross Ratke was listening to the episode and you were trying to remember Fred Willard and you couldn't he actually messaged me at that moment in the episode and he said oh. and he said were you I said he thought you were talking about Christopher Walken or David Lynch Oh wow, <laughs> oh, wow. and then wow. At the, and then and then he goes oh never mind i guess Fred Willard has a, has a similar energy
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah you know kind of isn't that funny yeah actually I share that. interesting anyway, it made That's me think of that when we said
1: Fred Willard anyway yeah 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 so oh, back to I the-
3: love David Lynch though he's fantastic. <laughs> he's fantastic I could listen to him talk all day yeah. about any topic
1: um, I just finished listening to this audiobook, Room to Dream. It's his memoir. What's really interesting yeah. is they have him periodically in, throughout the book, like <laughs> recounting things that are not even in the book version of Room to Dream, so which is good. really great. It's worth getting the audiobook for that. Anyway, back to the story that we we're discussing.
3: I'm not saying that like no you can't other just grab rope yeah, and do it. Exactly. Exactly. So like yes, other characters use lassos. I don't give a shit. I'm saying like <laughs> this man. Can you picture him learning how to use a lasso <laughs> That's is what, my point. Yeah,
1: yes. uh,
4: More just, useful than like a cape <laughs> <There you go. laughs> in most cases. Oh, man. Better to have that than like, you know, a uh, cape and cow. Right. <laughs> Sorry, that is
3: the second time I've inhaled water because of y'all. So. I, I like this panel here, the middle panel.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to mention. So in between all this action of the lobster lassoing this robot, we get this one panel in the middle of this woman, and she's very intently listening to Cindy's yeah. radio report.
3: But the cinematography on this particular yeah, like angle, a good way to put it. Yeah. you know what I mean, is very – I really like that a lot, the way that it's said. The, so, comp- the composition of it is fucking – There you go. It's good. I kept
4: noticing her earrings because it looks like a gold man or like a crosswalk man. Oh okay. <laughs> like, I see you'll, more of like you'll you an... <laughs> notice it later, or like a restroom <laughs> symbol.
3: Is it though? Is it like?
4: It looks like dangly. It, it, yeah, I was gonna say it looks something.
3: like just dangly.
4: Yeah, you can see stuff. it better in other panels oh, okay. later on too.
3: I guess I didn't pay attention. Okay, I'll I'll uh, keep a lookout for that.
4: It's funny.
1: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Yeah, so we just get so we just get this one panel of her and then we go right back into the action. I like her radio. Yeah, I love the look of that whole yeah, we, we get to see more of that the ornate uh, molding on yeah, the frame. There you go.
3: There's a lot of there's a lot of, uh, a lot of good stuff here. There's the the couch design.
1: Cool ashtray. Uh
3: huh.
1: Yeah, a lot of detail went into that panel. Back with the lobster. He sticks a grenade onto the robot with something that looks like plastic explosives, I guess, and then he jumps off. There's an explosion and the robot goes down. As the lobster walks around to the head of the robot, whoever's in there, you have secrets, and those secrets will die with you. Whack! The robot tosses the lobster aside and then he just runs off, and there's that like clank, clank, clank. You can kind of hear all the robots. I, I really like that.
3: I wonder if it was meant to be plastic explosives or because he pulls a pin. I wonder if it's just like some sort of putty, so that he can stick it to whatever it is he's trying to blow up.
2: Right, kind of like what they did in, uh, like World War Two, and they stick bombs to the
3: sure, right, yeah. right. You know. Or it could be a twofer.
2: Yeah,
1: you never know. And as the robots run off, the lobster is left there, and he's kind of like holding his arm. So when the when the robot threw him, you know, he must have injured himself. We see Harry driving up. And as he gets to the lobster, he says, sorry, we couldn't get here faster, boss. You caught us by surprise. Looks like you took a
2: beating too. But I learned something, Harry, the lobster says. I learned something. Okay, so taking him by surprise. So, I mean, I guess the robots just started attacking. and He called the guys. Guys, robots are attacking. Meet me down here, blah, blah, blah. And then he runs out with the grenade launcher and a lasso. Right. (laughs) He just grabbed (laughs) the two things that
1: were the closest, I guess, before he went at them. We cut to Anderson and Son Automotive Sale and Repair. This is the shop that Harry McTell owns, and we've seen this in other stories. The radio car guys, they're irritated that they have to wait there all day for the radio car to be repaired in order to ride back to the station. Yeah, but why here, one asks. Well, our old producer, Stanley, he needs his own repairs. Miss Tynan is in charge now. What she says goes. So I guess she's the producer now. And she's like, yeah, you're going to take it to my friend's shop. Right? That's pretty sweet. Well, I mean, she probably got the promotion because they like, oh, shit, she stayed there. (laughs) Right? (laughs) She's inside with Harry having tea. Harry says her radio job is too dangerous. But she quickly brings up Harry calling her to tell her that he was going to fight a bunch of cannibals. This was back in The Forgotten Man. You didn't think that was dangerous, she asks Because I did. I'm serious, Harry says, holding her hand back. And Cindy's like, come on, you do your thing, and I do mine. Harry explains that he's baffled about the robots. They had no intelligence about them. It would be expensive to build them, but there's no paper trail. So where'd they get it, he asks. Harry guesses they robbed the bank to get more R&D funds. But Cindy says they didn't even rob the bank. They just left money lying around in the street. What, Harry asks? i like his expression there as well yeah don't ask me no idea however as to your first question she says and then it cuts away right before she can start telling him we cut over to this giant aerial bomb and then we reveal the lobster's crew they're all looking at it we see the lobster bob bill and lester the lobster has a cast from the previous scene where he was injured by the robot. Look at that. 200 pounds of TNT, Bob says. Trinitrotoluene is a chemical compound and yellow solid, which is sometimes used as a region in chemical synthesis, but it is best known as an explosive material with convenient handling properties. The explosive yield of TNT is considered to be the standard measure of bombs and the power of explosives. Yeah, because I've always wondered, they always go like, oh, it's this many megatons of TNT. But I guess like that's the standard or whatever. Bill says to use the bomb against the robots, they'd have to lure them out to Long Island. It would wipe out a city block and shatter windows for miles. The lobster says the grenade knocked it down. Explosives can work. We just need more the lobster says <laughs> Jeez. harry comes in on the boat into the hideout we got a really good point of view of that in a different story which one was that do you remember was it get the lobster
4: it was really cool i, I think it was get the lobster. Yeah. yeah yeah well wasn't that the one where in the original issue is a different guy oh yeah yeah that's right they fixed it in the trade i think that was that one
1: as lester opens the gate he asks harry if he learned anything Uh Uh-huh, we need to read the society page more. And so in journalism, the society page of a newspaper is largely or entirely devoted to social and cultural events and gossip of the location covered. So Harry here thinks we haven't been seen at the Cotton Club enough. Cotton Club was a New York City nightclub from 1923 to 1940. And when Lester says all that stuff about the Cotton Club, Bill says, Huh? Lester's just being an idiot, Harry says. (laughs) (laughs) that was funny (laughs) he always has to Lester's always making a little comment it's like harry's getting tired of it i just love that little thread he explains to the crew that looking for a criminal connection might be a mistake it's spring right coming out parties charity balls hundred dollar a plate dinners the elite so what well cindy tracked three consistent absentees from all this nonsense not reported missing just not in attendance see all three are VPs for Zinco Enterprises. Whoa! Whoa.
2: Fucking Zinco.
1: A major, Not good. yeah, a major manufacturer of mechanized armor at their New Jersey plant. And get this: one of the missing is their chief mechanical engineer. And the lobsters like Cindy gave you their names. I want addresses, especially engineers. I want them ASAP. How about right now? Harry says, and he nice, hands him nice. over the info. I like that. So we cut back to that woman that we saw in that earlier panel. She was listening to Cindy's radio report earlier. She writes a letter and then puts a pistol in her purse. As she leaves, we can see the letter is addressed to whom it may concern. As she exits, the doorman calls her Mrs. Aliyev and asks if she's sure she doesn't need a driver. Not on this night, she says. And so we see her get into this blue car, and we'll talk more about the car later when that comes up. We cut to the pier, and we see these two kids. And this page is so awesome, yeah, right? Yeah,
3: I love the colors on this page so much. Really incredible, and it's... um. I took a couple minutes to look at this page and, and the next page as well because the colors on these two pages actually are fantastic. The colors and just everything about them. They're just super good yeah, pages. And also, yeah. just this is a small thing, but like being able to illustrate something that big rising out of the water very, very quickly – it's it's so well illustrated, like the way that the water sheets off the metal, the way that oh, yeah. the water is rising up. It's very dynamic, and it's just good shit. I love it.
1: Yeah, shout out to Dave Stewart whenever we can. But yeah, these are beautiful pages. And so these two kids, one of them is fishing. It's kind of funny because he's like, oh, uh, I never catch anything out here. And the kid fishing says... Late at night when no one else is around, that's when they come out. And then the robot bursts out of the water.
3: <laughs> I kind of... <laughs> when I was reading this, I kind of... I was kind of like, uh, Like, it's very... It's good stuff.
1: The pacing is great on that page. We these, cut comics,
3: to, these comics are so aesthetically pleasing. Oh,
1: yeah. We cut to Harry, Bob, and Lester in the car. They plan to go to Zinko's engineer's place. They call into the lobster. Hang on, Lester. Change of plans. On a rooftop, we see the lobster looking through binoculars, and the lobster sees the robot walking through the city. And then we cut to the robot just wrecking shit, right? All over. <laughs> the cops are shooting at it. Yeah, and you were just saying, like, it's aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. You know, uh, there's something about Zonish's art that is just, um, it just goes so well with this series. And yeah. I think we've seen him do so much work on this title that, you know, even like, Look at all the, well, I guess that would be Clem Robbins, right? All these different sound effects. I really love how they're all kind of a different font and everything, you know? Yeah, I think his art is expressive, but also very clean. Yeah, Yeah, that's what it is. That's a great way to describe it. The cops are shooting at the robot, and they hear a car speeding closer. And I love the pacing on this next page as the car drives up and it crashes into the foot of the robot and then it gets crushed by the robot it's like oh no we just saw the lobsters crew in there (laughs) Uh, but now we see that they're remote controlling the car we saw them do the same thing and satan smells rat. yeah yeah Yeah. even though we've seen them do it before i was like what the shit i hope lester wasn't in there (laughs) uh And so we see Lester, Bob, and Harry. They have the control and they're testing whether the car would be effective. Police have the guns. We had the car. I sure hope the boss really did learn something last night, Harry says. And he looks behind him and we see the lobster. He's climbing a water tower. The lobster launches that aerial missile. But he wasn't the only one who learned something, right? Well. The robot quickly turns its head. I like how it doesn't even really have a head, yeah. but there's but there's that little line in there. Yeah. I just love all. Well, of the- and then
3: also the subtle the subtlety of the little lights on the side are elongated to um, give motion. you the sense of oh, motion. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, and then
3: there's like the coloring and the line work is also kind of very subtly doing that.
1: To take a, a shape like that and make it look like it's moving, you know, when it's, it's so yeah. minimal. And then the robot, it like deflects the missile with those weird knuckle things. Yeah. Yeah, that is so weird. What is happening there?
3: It's is probably it a ma- Magnetism, oh, yeah, I was okay, gonna say. yeah. Well, and also, uh, I hate to keep going back to this. We just finished talking about it, But like, that's actually a common thing in animation is that's the, the transition frames are mm. called like the onion i think or something i don't oh, really know okay. what i'm talking about yeah and so it's it's like that's why sometimes you'll see some of the transition frames or whatever they're called will look kind of weird and that people will like freeze frame it and like right. or like you know and i screenshot it or whatever and it'll be like a meme or something but it's
0: <laughs> anyway
3: sorry i'm I'm fascinated with stuff like that I yeah love that no so, it's so, great but is it also apparently a very effective illustrating tool oh guess, yeah so that's
1: cool and it sends the tnt right back towards a lobster and it explodes behind him. The lobster jumps down and he lands right in front of the robot that's like reaching out Ooh. for him with that robot hand. This is nitpicking,
4: uh, but I okay, I love the explosion and how he draws like the debris. Yeah, but it looks like the lobster doesn't have his casts on there, right? Where? Oh, you're right.
2: Oh, okay, yeah,
4: because he had it on. away, it doesn't look like it was on there. I'm just know. nitpicking. That's a stupid thing to point out. but Well,
3: he's in silhouette. Are we sure it's not there? And we just, it's not. You know I you don't mean? know
4: how you'd see the sleeve. Right, right. Yeah. And mm. then in the, in the next issue, it's just not there anymore. Mm. And I wonder and if, it how off. much time passed. Yeah. Oh, well, it's yeah. there in a couple of pages, though.
1: He's there when he has the binoculars. Uh. So maybe like he it's just. It's there he... again by the end, too. Oh, it is? by the end of this issue they're gonna have to fix they're gonna have to fix that for the omnibus i think he's
3: (laughs) just (laughs) it looks so good
4: the way he drew it that it's just stupid nitpicking yeah yeah oh that is so interesting
3: i don't know i i feel like that that could be written off as he's he's in silhouette i don't know yeah i don't care it's fine
1: (laughs) we cut to mrs aliev and she's driving into what looks kind of like a shady part of town And she drives up to this dilapidated shack that has this large, weird tower next to it. And these two wise guys walk up to her.
3: They are some wise guys, aren't they?
1: Hey, sister, you might have got lost real bad, I'd say. And directions around here don't come cheap, one says. She opens up her purse. Don't bother looking for cash, toots. We'll just take the whole thing. And then she pulls out that pistol that we saw her packing earlier. And they're like, our mistake, lady. And they run away. (laughs) It's a great little scene (laughs) there. (laughs) We cut back to the cops. And they're just looking up and debating what to do. And when we turn the page, we see the robot has the lobster in its grip, right? We saw it reaching out for him in that previous panel. One says, to just let it kill the damn lobster. He maybe he's still suspicious after the events of get the lobster right yeah because there was that whole thing where the chief higgins like michael shannon was trying to turn the whole city <laughs> against uh against the lobster and so maybe even though they found out that higgins was controlled by wires or whatever there might be still
2: some police that are like Hmm, i don't know mm. about that lobster well, i mean haven't the police always kind of felt like that i don't know yeah i guess
1: so yeah the lobster shoots at the robot, but the robot just kind of, like, shakes him, right? And he, like, drops the gun. And so here, it's kind of cutting back and forth between Mrs. Aliyev and the lobster. And so we see her with the gun, and she's approaching that shack. We see her go inside. Blam! Suddenly, the robot drops the lobster and falls backwards on the ground.
2: Uh, Chapter two. You know, at first I thought you know she walked in there and did something else. You know, I thought yeah I, it was kind of a yeah, see are, i
1: hadn't yeah. read this so i was like what happened did she go in there and right you know did she shoot something or did she kill somebody or did right. she kill herself or like what yeah. just happened This yeah. it
3: gets real dark real fast yeah
4: the way they leave that just hanging out there is so yeah ominous it's like yeah you know now oh great i have four weeks to find out what happened <laughs> <laughs> oh man hardcore you know, and the issue
1: two is the one that I'm missing, so even if I had read it, I would have been like, oh, oh goddammit. <laughs> See, there you go. All right, chapter two. This cover. Yeah, what an awesome cover. We have the second robot, and then it also has this car that's going to feature prominently in this issue. So what does this remind
4: you of, though, the car underwater?
3: I don't know. Do you guys not Lobster know that Johnson
4: 1955 huh? film The Night of the Hunter? No, I've never seen that. Why would we no. that? With, with Robert that? Mitchum and Shelley Winters? I know of it. I just haven't seen it. <laughs> there's a there's a very famous scene. Uh, so I don't know. Can I spoil a movie from 1955? Yeah, please, yes, spoil please, please too, do. Yes. <laughs> okay. On. So there's a famous scene where there's like a corpse in a car underwater, and it's really creepy. But this seeing the car underwater, uh, I'm pretty sure I even read this somewhere that it was inspired by that scene from That's the awesome. movie. Like, there's like this woman in the car, and there's all the seaweed, oh. and her hair's like flowing with the seaweed. It's really creepy but the way the light is coming from the surface onto the car is the exact same as this
3: this shot. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that.
4: Yeah, I'm going to look for that for the post for this week. Well, Night of the Hunters, a great movie. I mean, it's wild. It's where, um, like, Robert Mitchum is uh, supposedly a preacher, and he has love tattooed on one hand and hate tattooed oh, on the other. Oh, that's where that comes from. Whoa. Yeah, on his fingers. Oh, okay.
1: Wow, that's and something it is, I didn't uh,
3: know. So.
1: Thanks for that trivia, yeah, man. Yeah, that's great. Sure. Chapter two, we open on uh, the local tow truck driver's tow line snapping while trying to pull the robot onto its bed. That's great. And this cop, I think he's the captain, he looks on and he says they'll get it into police custody eventually and find out what makes it tick. He also heard the lobster was there last night. Or some nut dressed like him. Yeah, but either way, he ain't here now, the other cop says. And so we see the lobster rappelling down the side of a building. He's going to Mrs. Aliyev's apartment. And he finds the note that says, To whom it may concern. The lobster opens it. We have lost our souls, it reads and i just fucking love this page so much to
3: whom would that concern he, L- uh, the lobster
1: he <laughs> knew he knew someone was going to he knew someone was going right. to come right yeah she, or she, she she knew someone was going to come yeah
3: right well yeah i know it's just like you don't even have to address that.
1: I just love the idea of a letter that says, to whom it may concern, Yeah, and you it just says, it. we have lost our yeah, souls. That's just, a very Trent Reznor thing to do. It's very <laughs> awesome. And like, I mean, after I saw this page, I went onto Tanchi Zonich's website to see if it was for sale. Like, that's how wow. much I love this page. I just thought it's it was good so page. cool, it's man. It's a great page. It's just really great. Um, I wonder if the lettering is Clem Robbins or Tanchi oh,
3: Zanyich.
4: Yeah. Did you find it? if it was so sale or not it's not Ugh. it's not
3: this would be a fantastic page yeah this would be a have. great page so that's
4: just want to point out a couple things one his arm healed okay. two oh, right he's using a rope to repel which is probably also his lasso
1: right that's why oh. he always
4: has the rope with him
1: makes sense excellent so you know you know what i'm gonna say about
3: his arm <laughs> though is it's was the vril energy that uh gave him oh, some healing shit. powers yeah so. you're
1: absolutely right That goes along with last week's discussion.
3: A wizard did it.
1: Mm -hmm. Some (laughs) cosmic eyeballs. (laughs) Yeah. Back at Anderson and Son Automotive Shop, Bob tells the lobster they got what he wanted. He's talking to him on the walkie. And he tells him, the guy we're looking for is Emin Aliyev, Bob says. He owns a 1928 Castagna Isada Fraschini Roadster. Oh, and it's dark blue, he says. Also known as the Asada Fraschini Tipo 8A, this was a luxury car made by the Italian manufacturer Isada Fraschini. The engine could produce 115 to 160 brake horsepower. This was the most powerful mass-produced straight-eight engine in the world at the time. In 2012... A barn find of an unrestored 1931, Isada Fraschini Tipo 8A was publicly offered for the first time since 1961, and it fetched $186,500. In March 2013, a restored 1929, Isada Fraschini Tipo 8A sold for $473,000. Nice. A 1929 Coupe de Ville version of the car was featured in the 1950 movie Sunset Boulevard. And all that's from Wikipedia.
2: I always liked the design of the cars so from the 1930s and 40s. Yeah, it was really cool.
1: Yeah. I didn't realize it was such a rare car and it had all this kind of prestige yeah. behind it, you know? Yeah. So, I wonder, like, who's the car guy? Is it our cootie? Right. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> someone knows about these cars and is like, oh, I got to put one of these bar, yeah.
4: Asada Fraschini Tipo 8A. So, check this out. I just texted Scott and asked, uh, Lobster Johnson, <laughs> yes. Metal Monsters of Midtown, cover to issue two, Car Underwater. Was that inspired by the 1955 film Night of the Hunter? He said, not that I remember, love that movie though. Huh. And then I said, I mean, the lighting and all looks so similar to that scene, I couldn't make any other connection except that it's eerie. And he said, I could see Tauncey going there. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. Nice. So maybe it was like Arcudi said, it's a car underwater. Oh, okay. And then the artist ran with it. But Wait, so. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know.
1: Is Night of the Hunter the same car as Sada Tipo 8A? Well, I have no idea. but okay. uh, Interesting. I, I wonder.
4: I just feel like the car in the movie is older. Cause, and also, I mean, they would have had to really put it underwater. Mm. And I'm sure they're not going to do anything right, of value. Right, right. Still a yeah. still anyway, cool reference, yeah. So if you know that movie, and then you read in a comic book script, and you're the artist, there's a car underwater... That's your point of reference. Sure.
1: <laughs> Night yeah. of the
4: Hunter. Especially for something that takes place, you know, in this era.
1: In the garage, the lobster doesn't see the car. Um, he sees all these other Rolls Royces. The phone rings in the shop, and it's Bill. He tells the crew that he's in Riverside Park. Better have the boss come up and meet me here, he says. We cut to the lobster with him, and so Bill's talking to him. We We're thrown right in the middle of this conversation. He just says drove right off the bank and into the water just about here tied up the boat and called harry fast as i could bill says if i had my oxygen converter on me i would have gone down myself and so i guess that's this
2: little like oxygen
1: breather that the lobster is putting on oxygen. It, it
4: just sounds old yeah
2: it, it sounds yeah. it sounds like a precursor to like a rebreather and rebreather's are only in fiction. <laughs>
1: oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that seems
3: made up. That's
1: part
2: of the pulp history, right, I yeah,
1: guess? Yeah.
3: Inver- like, I wonder right? if it's of real power. Would you just, yeah.
2: I think it takes oxygen out of the water, like the way fish's gills work.
3: Okay, that would be cool. You wouldn't need oxygen tanks Yeah. yeah. ever for anything.
1: And it's kind of, I mean, I, I do think it goes along with this pulp thing because like, you can just have something like that. it's an oxygen converter
4: okay you know what his mask looks like to me have you ever seen those like you turn it upside down and then turn it right right side up again it makes oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah yeah. that is
1: what it looks like i don't know why it looks like that to me but (laughs) so the lobster tells bill to start asking around with lester because i know someone saw something he says and then we see him dive in the water as he enters the water, then he sees the car in there. Well, I guess it's a combined effort of Tanchi Zanich and Dave Stewart to give this weird underwater lighting effect, right? Oh yeah. yeah. Because Tanchi Zanich is shading things, but then no, but
3: I don't a- I mean, mean like the glowing effect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it just give with the mask, it just gives the lobster like this weird otherworldly look with the goggles and everything. Very cool page. And so he goes up to the car And really good pacing as he goes down and he opens up the door and then as he opens it we get this effect of like all the air kind of rushing out or all the water and then we see this like skinny weird bug-eyed goblin looking man floating out.
2: He looks like one of the Espers from uh, Akira. Okay, I was thinking of like Gollum oh, yeah.
1: or
4: something like that from Lord of the Rings. Oh, that's it. Too. Does look a little
3: Gollum I
4: love how the lobster just kind of watches it happen. Right. <laughs> just like, the fuck? Up
1: top, we see Mrs. Aliyev, and she's crying and burning papers in a barrel. Lester's she's alive. Yeah, she is alive. Yeah. And Lester's spots are apparently the hobos told him they saw her. He tries hobo, to... not not the preferred nomenclature, right? No, 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 that's what he calls them, right? Thank right. you for pointing that out, Matt.
3: No, right. yeah, we don't call people hobos. That's it's in the comic here.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. he tries not to spook her, but she sees him walking up.
2: <laughs> not only does he call them hobos, she calls her a ritzy dame.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's not yeah, the most sensitive guy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then he calls her by her name too, and so she's like, "How do you know my name?" The charade is over, and then she pulls that gun out, and so I, I'm thinking she's going to shoot Lester right here, right? No, yeah,
3: this got super dark.
1: And But then she holds the gun to her head, and she's like, if I only had more time, and Lester's like, lady, no, and then the lobster jumps in, he leaps, and he pushes the gun away from her at the last second right before it goes off.
3: She's having kind of a hard time here
1: yeah please don't do this to me she says let me burn these notes let me die the lobster says to lester to gather up all the notes there's plenty of those notebooks back in the little shack and wait till you see what else is in there lester says There's a lot of this in the issue where they are about to say something and then they don't. And yeah. then it cuts away. Cindy's mm-hmm. about to tell Harry who she thinks did, did the robots. And Lester's about to tell the lobster, you know, what's in the shack. And then they cut to the... It just really gives a, a good pacing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It keeps yeah. you always wanting to read more. In Mrs. Olyev's apartment, uh, Lester comes in. <laughs> Here you are, ma'am i didn't even know there was green tea oh, <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Oh, i love those little comments it's yeah good. it's great Aliyev tells the lobster that when she saw his leather jacket she thought he was a police but now that i know who you are i'm guessing neither of us wants to involve the police miss Aliyev, the lobster says so please tell us everything and quickly I don't pretend to know everything, but I'll tell you all I can, she says. It began last summer when my husband, Emin, was vacationing in China. He was an expert spelunker, you see. He enjoyed the underworld, seeing things few others had ever seen. And so we get into flashback mode, right? We have Dave Stewart using those sepia tones again, right? Like we've seen in a lot of the other series. And we see Mr. Aliyev, and he's spelunking down. That's why he always went on his own, she explains. Guides to whom he felt superior would circumscribe him, deny him those sights. But he was no daredevil. He was always very safe. Almost always. And so we see the lines snap, and Emon falls down, and the light on his helmet also breaks. We just see him there in the dark holding his helmet. I think about that moment often, Aliev explains, that instant of his total despair, those seconds before it came to him that glimmer of hope i think of that moment before all this started if only he had died right there and so we see aliev he sees this light within the cave he starts crawling towards it and then we reveal hyperborean machines oh man man right so we saw these all the way back in bprd hollow earth there we learned that they were built by the followers of the left-hand path. Well, they're slaves, actually. Their slaves ended up killing the left-hand path followers led by the King of Fear. And so those were all those proto-human guys that right. we've seen occur in some of the other series.
2: And then like some of these things start mutating into the octaves. You know? Right, they team up yeah. with
1: the frogs later. And then yeah. so in King of Fear, there's like robot frog monster
4: things coming out and then wasn't there yet another does, so i might be wrong about this i might have assumed incorrectly that in the black goddess there's like a demonic version of these things attacking
1: oh you're, you're probably right yeah no that's when they because they had already teamed up with the frog monsters at that point right, right? so yeah. here's more
4: yeah. And the other thing about the Black Goddess is that is a very, very heavy Lobster Johnson story. You're right. Yeah. Kate meets with Harry. We talked about this last week. This is where it was revealed that, oh, after Bob died, the Lobster kind of didn't want to have a crew anymore. Right. And, and that's and when he started working castle. for the government. Yeah. Yeah. And, um,. Abe, Devon, and Johan go to the Lobster's abandoned headquarters. Right, wow. Start going through the files, and then even the ghosts of the Lobster showed up. Right, oh, right. And yeah. so I was just kind of making that connection. This is the same underground location as in Hollow Earth, King of Fear, and probably Black Goddess, right? They're mm, same right. same creatures or monsters anyway. So unless I'm forgetting something, and something like this already happened... There's a timeline of sorts that we can start to build. And maybe we should go to Adam's chronology here and All right. see if he already <laughs> figured it out. But um, here's when the lobster found out about these robots underground. Then in Hollow Earth, which came before this series, but later, it's in this comic's future. A, Bjorn, Roger, and Liz learned that Nazis had been down there right. at one point. And there was like a Nazi submarine. Yes, they went yeah. in the
1: end. I have that in my notes here, they went down there looking for secret power. And they
4: were like, God, oh, where weren't these guys or something? They're yes. like, these guys are everywhere. So it's possible that between Metal Monsters of Midtown and Hollow Earth, the lobster himself maybe fought Nazis underground way before the BPRD was there. Hmm. And so that that's a story that maybe is yet to happen right like maybe they maybe oh i see what you guys have plans to write that would be awesome a lobster story where he's down here we're like trying to head off the nazis like maybe the nazis found out about it and they went down there and he's like oh i already know about that and maybe he's the one that blew up that ship that they find down there
1: all wrecked that would be so awesome oh someone needs to do that yeah (laughs) but you know um matt on while you were talking i was looking at this reveal page and so on the right hand side there's like a circle with these lines under it you see that part is that where they had liz remember they had or her in something this like uh, that. it was something yeah. that kind of looked like that but it was like a Connor capsule. Raider. but i think this guy comes upon brill right yeah so we see him inspecting all the machines And they say that he found a metal there that was unlike anything that he had ever seen before. It was very light, but impossibly strong. The metal, though, was only the very smallest of the wonders he discovered there. And we see him approach this pillar, and then there's just like a ball of light on it so what is
4: that vril
1: like is that it right
4: there yeah and so like did he disturb this and then that's why later they needed liz right i was just thinking that like he
1: took that whatever it was she was their new battery yeah that was their battery there that was going to power this thing and
4: then remember roger saved the day oh man that was cool yeah (laughs) that was his first real mission i loved it oh man that was great I can't believe they didn't bring that guy back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Such a bummer. Somehow, a man claimed he found himself in the company of those long-dead engineers of those machines. Well, I'm looking back
4: at Hollow Earth, and they had lives in something a lot different than, than oh, that one. Oh, okay, okay. Thanks for checking on that. Or whatever, sure.
1: Hyperboreans. I think that's what he called them. In any case, the communion granted Eamon a kind of intimacy with the lost world, and just as sudden as the clap of two hands, their secrets were his. For a man seeking the unique, the exclusive, this was all he could want, except, that is, for his escape. And then he had that too. So he, like, thought of escaping, and then he was outside. Yeah. And he still got, like, a piece of the metal with him because that's what he was holding on to. That's really and trippy that, and weird, yeah.
4: Doesn't that look like the same place where they came out? Oh, right, where the sheep were, right,
1: up? yeah, I wonder, huh.
4: They come out in Scotland, the Scottish Highlands.
1: Right, right. It just seems weird, right? Yeah, yeah. But I thought they used—they came out of like a tunnel that way or something. They were like running out of like everything was exploding and they were running out and they ended up there
2: through a different hole or, I don't know. Well, I mean, he could have almost ended up anywhere if right. he just wanted out. So it may have just transported him anywhere on the planet. Right.
4: A benefit of a hollow Earth. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to get around. I guess. Not that I believed
1: one word of any of this you understand not at first aliev explains but that changed very soon after he came home he set about designing then building strange machines at the zinco plant and to do so he formulated new alloys new construction methods unlike anything being practiced today he'd always been a smart man of course but for all this to happen at once It became much easier then to believe that some other intelligence guided his hands. And so we see Aliyev working and designing... I guess he's designing the robots. And behind him we see the ghost of that Hyperborean that he saw in that pillar of light. I don't know if Mr. Zinko himself was ever aware of any of this. Emin labored so secretively, but two men, executive vice presidents, they knew. And so we see them coming to inspect the machines. We see... Emin shooting this grenade launcher, and there's a note about this thing in the sketchbook. He's, he's like testing out the durability of the robots. These executives of Zinko, Lee Curris, and Cole Bryan, they funded the robots to be war machines, auctioned off to the highest bidder. They thought they'd be rich. The dilapidated shack with the tower was a control center they built to test the robots, but then Emin started staying there and never coming home, Miss Aliev explains. She tried to talk to him about it, but the remote use testing changed him. He became a gross, bug-eyed goblin man. Yes, he did. So so what caused this? Because we were kind of talking about that before. Like, why did this...
3: They, they never really explicitly say, here's a specific process and what's going on. It's, it's, it's left up to kind of this ambiguous thing, which I think is cool. You know, you don't have to explain every single thing with a specific whatever. But yeah, I was asking that to John. I was like, so what is this? It was kind of left to be sort of a subtle, you interpret it kind of a thing. So we had a little, we were talking about yeah. like, oh, it, maybe it's because of this and that. And I don't know.
2: They describe it like a, like a, it's addiction at some right, point. Right. And, um, but it seems to me like it's the system itself is draining the life force out of the mm. user to probably fuel the robot itself. Oh, okay. That's yeah. an interesting take.
1: Yeah, we'll have to talk about that more.
4: It made me feel like I don't know where I've seen this before, but like, if something were like lived in pitch black darkness, wouldn't it have really large eyes, like Gollum? Mm. Right. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. 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 That, or like yeah. because the strain, yeah, that that would be required. Would yeah, the uh, strain. Distort. Yeah. Like he's mutating. <clears throat> he's just becoming right. like you know
1: that's all that he needs is eyes Oosh. I guess and they start yeah. yeah that's so weird we cut back to the present and we see Miss Aliyev, she's crying over poor Emmon Lester confronts her but the lobsters is all business he's just like he wants to know where O'Brien and Curtis are they must have their own shacks and use a similar frequency they could use Emmon's control center and see if they do the same the lobster and Lester step away. Lester says, these guys are hooked on this weird sport like it's a drug. That's why they didn't take any money. The lobster says that may trap them. He tells Lester to go back to the shack and broadcast a signal and have Bill and Harry try to track it, if possible. Bob will bury Emmons' body where no one can find it. He'll know where,
4: the lobster says.
2: Creepy. Yeah.
4: (laughs) So look at the previous page, panel three, the earring. Oh, right, yeah, that's
1: what you were talking about.
3: See, that yeah. looks like tassel tassels to me, or like a I know, blade. but it
4: looks like a, a, <laughs> okay. a crosswalk guy. <laughs> All right,
3: okay. Right on.
4: It's a little gold man, or a little okay. gold person. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's always stuck out to me. It's uh, so funny. Man.
3: I also like this line here. Wow, what a bunch of freaks. All because they're hooked on this weird spot of theirs like it's dope. <laughs> right. It's just a very...
1: I love Lester. He's got some good lines in this series.
3: That explains why I don't want to do any of other... it. Like, it's very...
1: <laughs> the police won't know what happened to him, uh, which is what the wife wants, the lobster says. They owe her that for helping them. We cut to Cindy, and she's doing her live broadcast. They finally manage to get the fallen robot in the armory. Inside, we see the mechanics working on it, and they tell the captain they haven't found one screw head, welded seam, serial numbers, or markings of any kind. They also haven't been able to scratch the surface with a blowtorch saw or acid. Are you telling me the marines can get that thing open, the captain asks? We'll keep trying. I just don't want you to expect any miracles, the guy says so back with the lobster he's with miss aliev and he's staring out the window and she's like you don't have to guard me i won't hurt myself now i'm over that in any case you've taken my gun away the lobster says that she's their only source of information and so she's like wait are you holding me hostage and then so there's this moment where she's like waiting for him to respond he just doesn't say anything and she's like this is absurd what have i gotten myself into i want you out of my home now and he's like i don't think you want that at all don't talk to me that way after what i've seen do you think i'm afraid of and then suddenly they see one of the robots it's coming right towards them out the window and it smashes the window of that apartment and then the issue ends it always ends on these
2: cliffhangers yeah. that whole moment when she's like asking you know am i a prisoner and then he just doesn't say anything and i'm all like it's just like uh, when uh, Cindy was asking, like, what if I don't stop oh, writing this yeah, article? yeah, It's just like, uh, what are you going to do, Lobster?
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So War of the Worlds, the radio broadcast, was October 30th, 1938. And they're in Building 38. I just keep seeing that. Oh, I don't know if that's okay. like a reference or no, not. No, it totally she's, is. She's on the radio now and they're in building 38 and they keep showing like every time they show the building, you see 38 on the awning and then on the actual building itself. Great catch. I love that. Yeah, and so like Orson Wells in this universe is not very impressive at all (laughs) he's like oh i have an idea and they're like big deal man that already happened in the streets yeah a lot
1: of times i've noticed too like we miss the action like it just cuts to the aftermath we've seen that a couple times in these stories and so that would that's what happens here we see the robot smash the window and then we cut to already the fire department and the police are there and It turns out that the robot, the window that it smashed was the Aliyev Apartments. It was going right for them. So we see the two firemen there inspecting the rubble and we see like the dead hand of Miss Aliyev. So it killed her. And then so they're like, oh, her hand's as cold as ice. Come on, you didn't really expect anyone to live through this, did you? You ain't been at this long as me. I've seen surprises more than... And then the lobster gets up from the rubble as they're talking about this. (laughs) Holy Christ, the lobster! (laughs) And I thought this was such a strange choice for this panel on the bottom. This view that they give of of him, it's just like the bottom part of his mouth and the claw. Yeah. I think that is so interesting, like... How they framed that. yeah, yeah. Someone yells from the bottom, "Did you find someone alive? No, sir. Just a woman's body and maybe a ghost. Uh-huh. Yeah, because he's all covered, he's yeah. all covered with all the debris, but that but we were just talking he's about that ghost. last week. And so yeah, I just uh, yeah. when I saw that, I was like, ding, ding. <laughs> we cut to Lester and Bob, and they're at the shack, and Lester is telling Bob, about the plan, the idea is if we transmit a signal from here, the other operators of the other robots will do the same. that's how they communicate. Lester tells Bob, and so they'll try and trace the signal.
3: Well, you don't want my job. that freaky hardware in there it screws with your brain. You get addicted to using it like dope. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And so Lester's like, I just hope I can figure out how to work the controls quickly enough to make the broadcast without it turning me into some kind of fiend. Oh man. <laughs> oh man. And then so we see the lobster come up. Um and he still has all the dust on him, but it does make him look like a yeah, ghost. And we've seen him in good. the ghost. We are just talking about the black goddess. Really interesting parallel. And the lobster says, We're gonna have to do a lot more than send out a signal. And they're like, Oh, what happened? And he tells them, you know, the robot He killed Miss Aliyev. So one of them is transmitting. So let's pursue our trace. And the longer we can keep that frequency open, the lobster says, Boss, what are you saying, Lester ass? And so here we got to see inside the shack. And so I thought this was such an interesting reveal. Here we see that, like... It's like a video game or something, right? They sit in this seat, they yeah. put on like a headset, and there's like a thing that goes on their back of their head also. And like, yeah, that's and how feel they like,
4: control it. Like now I'm thinking like, is there some sort of a suction or vacuum effect on their eyes? Oh, maybe that's oh, what it is. Be. Yeah.
1: And it's like sucking and their eyes out, making them these, all weird and big. Are these pickle
4: jars right here? Is he having pickle snacks <laughs> while he was?
3: Uh, I don't <laughs> and think look, those are pickle what
4: are those snacks. Just, uh, October. Are those long boxes full of comic books? This could be my office. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! No,
1: Matt, don't become a fiend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't they become a don't become a bug-eyed goblin guy. <laughs> I'm a freak. <laughs> oh man,
3: this definitely looks a lot like well, anyway. Yeah. Some, somebody's mom's <laughs> basement. <laughs> or oh something. no! Oh no!
1: We cut over to the police station where they were trying to take apart the robots and cindy's outside with pain he tells her that he just heard on the radio that one of those robots was sighted across town and he's like you think the police captain knows if he doesn't that's his problem she says let's pack up now (laughs) i love how she says that she's like that's
4: that's not my problem she's all about getting the story first oh yeah she has like a legit mug outside Nowadays that would be Starbucks or something like that. Oh right. I feel like the lobster has a thermos. Right? What's that giant thing hanging off the back of his belt? Is that like a coffee thermos or chicken soup? It has to be like uh (laughs) maybe some concoction Maybe the lasso
2: is in there. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, That's probably what it is. I like the idea of him coming around with a with a thing of chicken soup. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, some ghost. we see the police
1: captain and the marine guy and they're talking about uh, how much they would need to blow open the machines and the captain's like the sooner we get this done the better and suddenly we get this one panel at the bottom of just the light coming on that is so cool the way dave Stewart did that because it's the light that's inside the dome we see the robot get up off the thing it like snaps all the cables that are holding it down And it just bashes out through the front of the police station. Um, Cindy and Payne just narrowly avoid it again. I noticed on the side of the car here it says American Radio Company. I couldn't find a reference to that. I think there is an American Radio something. The third word is different, but it wasn't until 1969 or something. It's the American
3: Radio Company.
1: Well,
2: there was also an American Broadcasting Company that became ABC.
1: There you go. So maybe they're just playing off of that. Payne says, geez, that was close. What do you suppose got that gadget working again? I don't know, Cindy says, but let's see if we can find out. And so they start chasing the robot in their car. And then we cut over to wald uh we see wald they're listening to the radio and he's still hanging out with the driver remember he was hanging out with the driver in the last story and and he was like uh, yeah and he was like no what a precedent is and he was like like fdr see (laughs) yeah (laughs) anyway so this guy his name is ted he's eating a sandwich there and so they say we interrupt this episode of blackjack to bring you a special bulletin Black Jack Justice was a podcast radio drama series in the style of an old-time radio private detective show written, directed, and produced by Greg Taylor for Decoder Ring Theater. It followed two detectives, Jack Justice and his partner, Trixie Dixon who divided the voiceover narration duties on the show so I thought this was interesting Black Jack Justice is a podcast a current thing but it's made to sound like an old-timey radio show
2: oh wait Mm. what
1: and this is a comic book that is current but is made to be like an old-timey pulp story oh wait so they're referencing an actual real podcast that's going on right now it's called Blackjack Justice, and here they just say Blackjack, but I thought it was close enough. I wondered if somebody, I think it had been going on by the time that this came out. So I wonder if somebody was a fan of that, or maybe it has nothing to do with it. I just thought that was an interesting parallel.
4: And look how the radio says Philco. That's an actual radio oh, producer. Oh, I did notice
1: that. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. So, Wald, he's been woken up by Ted listening to the radio and eating his sandwich. And he's like, how many times have I told you radio off by 10? How do you expect me to sleep? And he's like, I was just listening to Blackjack, but they interrupted it. So, I'll turn it off. They start listening and they hear, this is Cindy Tynan. She says, reporting for WRKZ. So, there actually is a WRKZ branded 99.7 The Blitz, but it's in Columbus, Ohio hey i found that same radio oh cool oh it's so, okay so that's an actual radio that was made by philco yeah do you, to, do you happen to know what year was made or did it say
4: 1937 so maybe there's an earlier one but it's called a philco model 37610 t big bullet table radio wow nice. cool thank you for that 1936 big bullet let me see yeah it's like the same thing that's awesome okay so that what is, is the 1936 model 610t big bullet yeah nice just, awesome just a man.
1: different year oh that's cool so walt is all of a sudden interested now that he hears Tyne in he's like that's a news lady who almost got me killed in 32 and so they start listening um and he's like hey make me one of those grilled cheese sandwiches <laughs> <laughs> i just thought that was a funny <laughs> line <laughs>
2: yeah when i read that i was like i want a grilled cheese sandwich but i also thought it
1: was funny because like ted is about to eat a sandwich and he's like no you go make me a sandwich so does ted have to stop eating his sandwich to go make him one now
2: well he is the boss so right right yes this, this is exactly what has to happen
1: the police's capture of one of the mental Goliath's has backfired, Cindy reports, as their former prisoner is now marching down Ninth Avenue. And this reporter suspects she knows the marauding monster's destination. And we see it approaching the police station. And then here's another one of them too. So they're like, oh no, there's two of them, we're dead. But then the other one starts punching, they start fighting each other, right? So this is the one that the is controlling. Yeah, that is such a great reveal, I love that. Harry and Bill are talking to Lester on the walkie, and they're looking for the third signal. But there's no buildings or antennas, no towers. You want to check with the boss on this? They ask Lester, and he says, no, you and Bill just keep looking. Right now, the boss has his own problems, and brother, is he acting weird? And so we see the lobster, he's hooked up to that
2: contraption, and he's controlling the robot. It kind of looks like... Um, so, the image reminds me of like the pilot from um, an alien when they go into the
4: ship. Oh, right, uh, yeah. Yeah, so, they call him the navigator? Or something. Yeah, what they call him.
1: yeah.
2: Something like that, I
4: can't remember.
1: We see some great action here of the robots fighting each other, and as they're fighting, like we cut to the lobster a couple times, and he's like speaking that weird language, too. So it's like the somehow using this machine or using this power kind of like possesses you or because we've kind of seen that before right. where yeah. like um, Liz saw Shanshan in the Black Flame and he was saying something and then she just started saying it yeah. too. And then she had that big power where she like destroyed Cothahem. So it, it, we've seen that a couple times. I just think it's interesting how just like seeing it or witnessing it, it makes you start saying it too. It's like some sort of contagious, weird. Sure, yeah. Yeah. yeah uh it's I'd, like
4: they're speaking in tongues right yeah yeah so i always
2: assume it was like the ancient hyperborean whatever but i mean i always assumed it was i always assumed it was that was that language right that they were speaking as the robots are fighting we see the police captain and he's like all
1: right he's all like cheering one on and they're like you must be nuts how can you cheer for either one of those monsters i'm not the captain says i just like a good fight but it made me think of <laughs> the broken equation where they're seeing the two kaiju monsters fight in BPRD, right? And they're like, "How oh, can right. you?" They're like, "How can you root for one or the other?" And they're like, "Well, what does he? What does it you know, say?" I can't remember, but it's actually like you know, root for one to kill the other, or something. right? Well, I think they were rooting for the one that looked like a man, basically, like the one oh, that was more right. humanoid yeah. or something like that. But anyway, and Cindy is reporting the robots fighting. She says this sudden turn of events, this conflict between two of the metal titans. All I can say is it makes Lewis and Schmelling, and then she's and then she's cut off. Joe Lewis versus Max Schmeling refers to two separate fights between the two, which are among boxing's most talked-about bouts. Schmeling won the first match by a knockout in round twelve, but in the second match, Lewis won through a knockout in the first round. Although the two champions met to create a pugilistic spectacle remarkable on its own terms. The two fights came to embody the broader political and social conflict of the times. As the most significant African-American athlete of his age and the most significant African-American boxer since Jack Johnson, Lewis was a focal point for African-American pride in the 1930s, and Schmeling was a Nazi. Oh. Moreover, as a contest between the representatives of the United States and Nazi Germany during the 1930s, the fights came to symbolize the struggle between democracy and Nazism. Lewis's performance in the bouts made him one of the first true African-American national heroes in the United States. We cut to Harry and Bill, and they're in the car, and they're listening to the report, and they're looking for the other Radio Shack. Bill is concerned for the lobster. He says he's losing his soul playing robot jockey. Bill, you're a genius, Harry says. We're not looking for a building. We're looking for an antenna. And he sees one in the distance. And so we cut to the other guy, right? Here we see one of those executives, and he's in his you know, little shack or whatever, and he's controlling the robot. He's also speaking that language. He's on a boat. Oh, is that what it is? Um, oh, you're right. He is on a boat. He hears, excuse me, and he lifts his visor to reveal his goblin bug eyes. Harry's like, ah, you're a monster, all right. Just had to be sure, here. And he throws a grenade in, <laughs> and the whole thing blows up. I just love that moment. It was so great.
4: Yeah, this whole this whole beat was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I looked up the radio from that first panel in issue one that we liked, where yeah. you can see that she's listening. That is a oh, fada two six zero w from 1936 oh that is so cool that they like pulled
1: i wonder if all those other things we were talking about like the ashtrays and everything i wonder if those are all from the 1930s also i bet they are well i mean he probably looked at reference photos from that time right
3: that used to be so aesthetically pleasing
1: yeah it really was back with the cops and cindy they see the robot go all stiff it falls over unbelievable cindy reports one of the robots is down But I don't think it's because of anything the other one did. And now the victor, if that's what it is, is dragging the other machine off. But to where? And so we see the one that the lobster is controlling is like dragging off the one that fell down. Harry talks to Lester on the walkie. He says they're changing up. They'll meet back at HQ. There's something they need. The lobster has a plan that plays off the way the men operating the machines get hooked on them the last one won't be able to resist facing him now and if that happens well it's like i said he's got a plan so we see the lobster dragging this robot i guess to the water's edge and then we see the other one it's underwater so then we cut over and we see ted and wald they're eating their sandwiches listening to the report (laughs) that's so funny
2: they're intently (laughs) listening
1: yeah Ladies and gentlemen, we followed the metal hulks to the edge of the Hudson River, just above 34th Street, and it looks like we've arrived ahead of the police. She's all excited about it, right? (laughs) Right now, both machines are stark still, one flat on the ground, out of sight, while the other stands guard. It's hard to tell from where we are, but that's how it looks. And she asks Payne, Do you think we could get any closer? And Payne's like, Oh, I don't know if we should. And then Harry shows up too and he's like, He's right, Miss Tynan. You shouldn't. We cut over to Bob and Bill, and they have like gas masks on. And they're applying some sort of adhesive. Bob says, I finally got the odor out of the adhesive, but the catalyzing gas is deadly. And Lester's calling on them to hurry up. So they're doing something to the fallen machine, right? Like you said, they're planting explosives, explosive. Right. And we also see the one coming out of the water. So this is what they wanted, right? They were luring this one.
2: Yeah
1: crap i guess we're done bob says so bill's like but i'm not sure the seal will hold and they jump off as the robot comes out of the water and starts to attack they all fall in the water together so we see underwater as the machines go down and then we focus in on this clock so i guess that's like the bomb we also see like the fins of that aerial bomb too it looks like they've got a couple things like all together right yeah and then from outside of the water there's a huge explosion And so they're like, hear that? 200 pounds of TNT. Yeah, but did it work? Did it blast the robots apart? You got to go check and see, Lester says. No, they don't, Lester. The lobster says, it worked. I'm sure of it. Okay, Lester says, and you boss, you going to be all right? And the lobster turns around, he gets two grenades and throws them in the shack. And then as they walk off, as it's blowing up, he's like, I'll be fine.
4: That's the classic slow-mo walk away from yeah, Explosion. Yeah. But look how in the first panel when he says 200 pounds of TNT, there's an asterisk that goes down to the bottom. Oh, we don't pin. have that. So there's an asterisk right after that. And the editor note is, Built in Metal Monsters of Midtown number one. I mean, it's not. Nor they didn't show it. Oh, right? Wait, remember was them?
1: It, wasn't that
4: that big bomb they were looking at? But didn't... Wasn't that what they threw at the monster and it? mag or it yeah uh, use magnetism to send it back
2: yes that's exactly true yeah
4: So i'm thinking this editor's note is something like yeah that happened off camera but
1: then they took it out for the
4: trade so i wonder
1: was there i wonder so maybe they're
4: like Yeah, just let it go
1: was there a i wonder if there's something because i mean i didn't read every single line i wonder if there's a line that they added or something to this oh. we've seen that a couple times where they've like corrected something
4: oh yeah i don't know because i reread mine and i was like i don't i got nothing
1: yeah yeah but i wonder if if it's different in the trade anyway maybe that, that, that's interesting huh yeah but okay this is what i wanted to talk about so Lester's like you got to go down there and see and the lobster's like no they don't it worked i'm sure of it like what what is that about like th- nothing could destroy the robots the police couldn't get in there nothing could blow it up like
2: Maybe he maybe he's sure because he was connected to the oh, robot. Oh,
1: you're right, because he was connected to it. That makes sense.
2: I mean, that's the only thing I can think because, you know, if he was connected to it, then he would, I would assume, see it somehow. Right. He
4: knows it's dead. Yeah. yeah. He, he knows it's he not. He was connected it. The connection to it. is severed or Right,
1: whatever. right. I don't know. I just thought that it was a little too easily dismissed, but I don't know.
2: No, I mean, I agree. I mean, it wasn't until just now that I thought about that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I wonder, like, what is this coming down from underneath his mask? Is that
4: blood? Just sweat? Is I it... think he was just sweating oh, in there, okay. right? Yeah. Maybe got into that jar of pickles. I don't know. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> God, I'm just not. kidding. I don't know why he would blow it up if there were boxes of comic books in right. there. So those must have just been empty boxes. Well, they
2: might have been crappy comic books. Yeah. No. no <laughs>
4: We not cut from
1: the 30s. <laughs> not from the 30s, right? We cut to Cindy. She's doing her report. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. And if you're just waking up, then you slept through one heck of a battle last night. But don't worry, I'm here to give you the blow-by-blow. Blow. Literally, she reports. Of course, we don't know all the details yet, such as who built the menacing machines or how they were operated. But with all three juggernauts in pieces at the bottom of the Hudson, so I guess the cops checked, yeah. The threat is over, she says. And while he never made an appearance last night during all the commotion, this reporter's sources say the lobster may well have had a hand in ending it. And as we pan over, we see... A breakfast table. We see the big radio, the Philco, and we also see the newspaper. And it has like one of those pictures where the cops are like holding something up. I really like that how they have like the they're showing the contraption or whatever. And then we see that Wald and Mister isog they're listening to the report. And Wald looks pretty happy as he eats his breakfast. He says, "Little Cindy Tynan, not a scared bone in her body, no." Not yet, Isog says. Jeez. Ooh, the end. You will be. It's a good ending. Yeah. you say that? So I want to cut over to page one fifty two in the tr- digital trade.
3: I'll never cut over to page one fifty two. No, you better. Trade. That's what we're doing on the podcast now. Okay, I guess I will.
1: And we see Zonich's designs for all these robots. These are really great. They're worth checking out if you have the trade here.
3: I'll always check out some robots.
1: The robots Emin makes are based on the ones he sees in the cave, but constructed with 1930s technology, kind of. We knew there would be three of them, so it was important to make them immediately distinct from each other. There was also a sense of progression, of them getting more and more refined. One doesn't even really have a head. One moves his legs by spinning them entirely, and so on. Yeah,
3: I like Stumpy Boy.
1: You'll see when we make toys, he says. Oh. oh no. I wish. Those I would wish. be so yeah, cool. If they were like the so... wind-up Skelting kind. Crew. Yeah.
3: If they were the, kind of like you wind them up and put them on the table and they go. Yeah. Ah, yeah. That'd be great.
1: Uh, yeah, skeleton crew really should make these, yeah. And so we get some more um, sketches of these, and they're really detailed. I mean, you can zoom in and see like all the little yeah, notes the, that They're Zonych almost like made. schematics. Yeah. They're nice. I like them. The final shapes came together fast enough to be suspicious, but there is still a much larger pile of stuff that didn't work, some closer to the Hyperborean ones, but less interesting or too complicated to draw. The last one here is obviously from the wrong decade. And so you see, yeah, it kind of looks like a 1950s robot. We also see his designs for the shack and for the oxygen converter that the lobster wears. We see his designs for Emil with his bug-eyed goblin face do not, transformation. Do not like that. And we also see the proto bazooka. The proto bazooka. So we. It was in one panel where he was shooting it, and uh, Zanyach writes the proto bazooka on which I spent far too much time on, considering it only appears <laughs> in a single panel. It's great, though. and so it is pretty. It's pretty detailed how it works, and everything is like detailed in there. We also see some of the outfits. So. The outfit that Mrs. Aliyev wore. And then we also see Cindy's outfit. He says, Cindy's is entirely based on a fantastic photo of Barbara Stanwyck in the same blue outfit. Love it. He says, I added the red hat in the clutch, so I did something. <laughs> Barbara Stanwyck was an American actress, model, and dancer. She was a stage, film, and television star known during her 60-year career as a consummate and versatile professional for a strong, realistic screen presence. A favorite of directors including Cecil B. DeMille, Fritz Lang, and Frank Capra. She made 85 films in 38 years before turning to television. And so this outfit that Zonich is referencing is the one that she wears in the 1942 American film drama The Gay Sisters by Irving Rapper. And so I found a picture of that. Um, Zanyach also writes about Cindy's white, yellow, and black outfit. Inverting the hat was one of my favorite things I did in the whole book. I didn't know what it was called, but apparently I did know such hats existed. (laughs) And it's called a Breton. Nice.
3: Mm. I like his comment also down here. The best goons come in pairs. Oh, yeah. I found that to be very true.
1: Those are those wise guys. The wise guys, see? Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
3: I think uh, Venture Bros really highlight that, though. When you get, they just, most of their script writing revolves around just two guys bullshitting. Right. (laughs) it's always fantastic.
1: All right. So that was great. It was great to get back into the book club swing of things. I hope you guys enjoyed this lobster story. And we are winding down. You know what I mean? Like, the, the next lobster story is kind of the last lobster story that we have for a while. There's some little short stories that we will also be able to cover, but... Yeah, we're starting to wrap up this series, and this is all new to me, too, so I'm really excited. I haven't read The Pirate's Ghost yet. You you already read it, right, Aubrey? Well,
2: yes, I read it when <laughs> I read the... Uh, I, okay, so I read it back-to-back, because like, I was like, oh, crap, we got to read all of this for, right. t- for today. And so I read all of it, and then I was like, wait a minute.
3: So you've read a thing that he has not read.
2: Yeah, oh, so we're wow. in a weird
1: space of time right man. now where Aubrey's read ahead of me. So yeah, that is so interesting. Up is down.
3: It's so <laughs> weird.
4: Cats, cats, dogs,
2: and-, and cats living together. Mass hysteria. <laughs> oh,
4: man, I don't know how you guys resist. For, uh,
1: for me, it's just a it's just workload. Like i like recording on Friday. And yeah, a little bit of a
2: crunch, and it's like. I guess it was like I read the three issues, and I'm all like. Well, we're probably doing more than that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I'm looking
3: forward to reading something mm. called the Pirates' Ghost. Yeah,
4: that's going to be exciting.
3: It's be a good one. I'm
4: excited for it. So oh, that's going to be guys, a great that, episode. I think you guys are going to like that it. That came out in 2017. So the one we just read came out in 2016. So yeah, these are
1: pretty new. Wow, pretty, yeah. pretty wow. current. Yeah, pretty current issues. All right. So thanks again for joining us again, Matt. It's always good to yes. be doing the book club with you. And um, we'll have, have a, yeah we'll have another great episode next week. I'm excited to hear everyone's feedback. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things.
2: All right, everybody, share us your thoughts on Lobster Johnson's The Metal Monsters of Midtown. You can send us a hey you damn guys at Hellboy Book Club at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find the reading list and the Discord link on our Uh, facebook about section
1: also the chronology from adam hicks
2: and also adam's amazing chronology always a thank you to paul from gartahan for the amazing theme thank you to mark tweedell for helping john with the reading list and thank you john for everything you do so next week as we said we are reading lobster johnson the pirate's ghost probably the only story i'll read before john read it (laughs) by complete accident so you know what to do Pull out your trades, back issues, floppies, go to the library, get the library apps, the pirate story, so get yourself a parrot and an eye patch, and join us next week on the Hellboy World Cup Podcast.
1: Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas.
3: I'm a pirate's ghost.
2: And I'm Matt Shrackbein. And I'm Aubrey Loveless and he lassoed it like a giant bull.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was Good amazing. One. Good one, Aubrey.